Welcome to the Proceedings Podcast. I'm Bill Hamlet, the Editor-in-Chief of Proceedings at the U.S. Naval Institute. Today is Thursday, the 3rd of November, 2022. The November issue of Proceedings is out. It's our annual focus on the Marine Corps, always time to the uh, Marine Corps birthday. And my guest this morning is one of the authors in that issue. But first, I want to go back for just a minute to our October focus on submarines, um, because uh, 10 days ago or so, the USS John Warner SSN 785, a Virginia-class submarine, visited Annapolis, and the XO of that boat is uh, Commander Jeff Vandenegel, who is a frequent contributor to proceedings and has won a number of our essay contests over the past few years. Just a terrific guy. Uh, Jeff reached out to us before the John Warner came up to Annapolis and invited a number of uh, Naval Institute staff members to come out. I got to go out uh, for a tour of the boat with Jeff and and uh, meet the crew and just uh, you know kind of go as as much of the ship as we can can't get into the reactor uh, spaces if you're if you're not part of the nuclear reactor program but what an impressive ship and an impressive crew and it was great to be out on a uh, uh, on an SSN and that ship had just come back a, a month ago or so from a seven month seven plus month northern deployment for all our submarine geeks out there you know what that means which means uh, she was out doing some varsity work uh, particularly as this russia ukraine situation continues uh, the second point i wanted to make about submarines is that i spent the past two days uh, over in crystal city at the naval submarine league's annual symposium great event uh, really interesting speakers uh, but what struck me the most about this year's symposium was the emphasis on rebuilding the submarine, the shipbuilding industrial base, uh, delivering one Columbia-class SSBN and two fast attack submarines per year, which is the Navy's goal over the next 10 or, or more years. Uh, it's going to require new dry docks, expanded shipyards, perhaps an additional shipyard, a lot more skilled welders, pipe fitters, electricians, designers, engineers, etc., uh, the USNI news team was also there and is writing stories about the sub-league event. Uh, but I just wanted to make a point that if you know a young person or you are a young person who would be interested in the submarine force or be interested in being a skilled tradesperson who can help build, maintain, and operate the submarine force, uh, I encourage you and please encourage your uh, your colleagues and your uh, your mentees uh, to pursue a, a you know a career in that direction because the submarine force is looking to increase in size and the the uh, the submarine industrial base is also looking to increase in size. So uh, it was just an interesting couple of days at the sub league event. Okay, now let's get to our guest. As I mentioned, the November proceedings is always our Marine Corps focused issue. Happy 247 years, Leathernecks, uh, on November 10th. Um, and uh, this issue, the, uh, the November 2022 issue, has a very candid article by the Commandant General Berger about the recruiting and retention headwinds that are facing the Marines and the entire Joint Force. And the issue also features the winners, the three winners, of this year's Naval Institute Marine Corps Essay Contest. Uh, and my guest today is Major Dustin Nicholson, whose essay is titled Marines Need Regenerative Logistics. He's the winner of this year's Marine Corps Essay Contest, top prize $5,000 if you're ever curious about writing uh, for uh, essay contests for the Naval Institute. Um, some pretty good prize money there. Uh, he's joining us from Okinawa, Japan, where he is the plans officer for the 3rd Marine Logistics Group. Major Nicholson, welcome to the show. Yep, sir. It's awesome to be here. Thank you very much. Uh, so let's start off. Your article is about regenerative logistics, but I want to go back and just take a wide angle perspective before we zoom in on that. 
Uh, so the you know proceedings readers are very familiar with the, the stand-in forces discussion, the force design 2030, littoral operations in a contested environment, expeditionary advanced base operations, all of these concepts and force design um, you know ideas are about uh, putting smaller groups of disaggregated Marines working with the Navy to concentrate fires against a pure adversary. Uh, so what are the, some of the logistics challenges to those concepts and how are they perhaps different than the logistics challenges that have faced the Marine Corps over the past 30 or maybe 40 years? Yes, sir. Yeah, that, that is a, a really good place to start. Um, and, and some of the details in the question help, help to answer it, I think. So uh, one of those concepts has littoral in the name, and I think geography plays a big role in, in a lot of the challenges for logistics uh, as we look at our, our, our modern situation. Um, yeah, littoral operations have, have always been kind of where the, the domains of warfighting integrate the most between air, land, and sea. And of course, in more modern times, you then have complications with space, cyberspace that will still require figuring out. So just the integrated fighting that takes place uh, in and around the, the littorals is, is a complicating factor, but you could argue we've been, the, the Navy Marine Corps team has been deploying MAGTAFs in littoral areas for decades. Um, so really getting to another key part of the question, that the peer adversary, that, that threat, um, that kind of compounds the problems with the geography. When you look at the Western Pacific and the, the key maritime terrain out there, and of course the threat of you know the, the People's Liberation Army's modernization and the reach of the PRC and its increasingly aggressive maritime policies. And so with the, the threat of uh, the adversary, the potential adversary and the complications of an integrated um, geography that requires what we would call multimodal distribution, right? Having to push sustainment over land, through the air, over the water, back onto land. Um, that all really does add in to complicate things. And, and together between the geography and the threat, you really have to reconsider what mass looks like. And that's caused a lot of, you know, new thought in a lot of areas, especially for maneuvering elements and, and how we do distributed operations. And as maneuver elements, you know, break apart their mass uh, to only mask their effects, you really find logisticians struggling to keep up with how you now supply forces that are not only in hard to reach places, but they're also very disparate. I hope that answers the question. Yeah, it does. That's a that's a great way to set the scene. Uh, one of the most interesting points for me as I read your piece was the discussion of the gap between logistics and other warfighting uh, functions. I'd never thought about it in those terms, but, uh, you know, if you could explain it for our listeners, that'd be great. Yes, sir. Yeah, uh, actually, that's that, that was a, a, a new new term I had heard probably only a couple of years ago, um, at logistics being called the pacing function. Um, as, a, as a lieutenant, as a captain, I had never heard it referred to that way. And, you know, I, it actually required me to kind of look back at, at military history. It's probably my favorite subject to read about. I, I actually prefer to to read stuff more about the past than about the future. So even writing this paper was was a big struggle for me to try to project out what what things might look like. Um, and and in so doing, I, I asked myself, what has logistics always been the pacing function? Right. Is it just the, the norm of, of what we deal with? And 
uh, I found that, you know, that's probably not entirely accurate. Um, I think there's a lot of things that have advanced fairly rapidly in the other warfighting functions. And in the article, I call out, you know, there, there was a time where the horse was the fastest means to both supply and communicate over land. Uh, but both got faster with time, you know, supplying and communicating. But communications is definitely far, far and away much faster than how we can supply forces. Uh, and, and, you know, as you go through other warfighting functions like information, that's our newest one that we've added as the seventh warfighting function. And already we have some pretty significant advancements that have really affect operations. Um, Henry Kissinger, I called out because I really liked what he said in one of his books back in 2014 that that today anyone holding a cell phone has greater intelligence and analytical capabilities than most intelligence agencies had, you know, a generation before. Um, when you get to maneuver, you really see that there, there have been significant advancements in what platforms could do for us in maneuver, but due to logistics constraints, we can't, we can't tap into nearly as much as uh, of their capabilities. And there's, there's this kind of neat thing that Martin Van Krevel calls out in his book, Supplying War, where, you know, the horse-drawn wagon was actually pushed a lot closer to its theoretical limits, and he has math to back that up, uh, than the five-ton truck was in World War II. So even though, you know, our motorized vehicles can go a lot further than our horse-drawn wagons of the past, we're not pushing them as hard because of logistics mm -hmm. constraints. Um, and then lastly, force protection is kind of the last one I hit in the article, and I think that really helps explain some things at least from an American perspective, where power projection overmatch over, you know, the last seven decades since World War II has really allowed us to kind of get away with with stockpiling logistics in theater. Um, and so, you know, necessity being the mother of, of invention, I think as we look at the Western Pacific today, we're not going to have kind of what we've been used to in stockpiling logistics. And so it's going to require us to to force this pacing function to catch up. You write that logistics is the tallest obstacle for stand-in forces, and to make it, uh, the Marine Corps must embrace regenerative logistics. So explain that term, regenerative logistics. What's it mean? Sure, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think probably the best place to start is to briefly say what, what it's being held in contrast to, which is kind of our conventional way of doing logistics, um, which, you know, in, in for centuries, uh, thousands of years, we've we've seen militaries either gain their supplies from some some distant location to the rear. Uh, they were pushed or pulled from from that source of supply, or they relied upon the land around which they fought and maneuvered uh, to forage. And so that's kind of been the conventional way of doing logistics. Um, and what what I offer with regenerative logistics as like a third option is you know, kind of this recognition, and, and I'm definitely by no means the first to point out that there are these emerging technologies with some significant potential for us, where units can can decrease their dependency on, on outside requirements through certain technologies, uh, capabilities they could bring organic to the fighting force that would allow it to produce and consume as it continues to operate all organically. And, and I do make clear in the paper that regenerative logistics is not some sort of magic, right? It, it still requires physics with inputs leading to outputs. You still have to have certain things uh, at hand for this to work, but it's the co-location of it all that makes it even more autonomous than the dependency on even foraging, you know, the local area you're in. 
Gotcha. Uh, you, your paper uses an analogy of uh, logistics being kind of like uh, paddle ball. Um, I love that. I love that analogy. And I love the one that you get to towards the end of your article as well. But let's start with the paddle ball analogy. What do you mean by that? Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, so the paddle ball analogy comes from uh, Marine Corps Doctrinal Publication 4, MCDP 4, uh, which is our, our cornerstone doctrine on logistics. And, and in that, they describe, uh, you know, the relationship between operations and logistics as a toy paddle ball, wherein operations is the ball and logistics is the string. Um, and, and what they mean is logistics as the string doesn't determine where the ball will go, but it certainly determines how far it can go before it has to get pulled back. And, um, and that is a fantastic analogy because that explains so much in military history with forces going too far and getting pulled back. And frankly, we, we saw that occur this year in, in uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine with uh, forces being unable to sustain uh, and provide the staying power required and having to reshift and, and head back out. Yeah, when you mentioned that, I was immediately thinking about uh, Russia, Ukraine, but also about Napoleon's forces and, and Hitler's forces going into Russia uh, during those wars and then finding themselves uh, out of supply and in the middle of winter and you know, in a very bad situation. Um, your, your article talks about the different classes of supply. And as a non-logistician, um, that was a good refresher for me. So, um, can you describe those different classes of supply and some examples of regenerative logistics tech that matches up against those supply classes? Sure. Yeah, there's um, there's overall 10 classes of supply that that are captured in, in probably every services logistics doctrine. Um, and my article really hones in on what, what are probably the five of those 10 that that as a logistician at a, at a tactical level, you are typically most concerned about. And that's classes one, three, five, eight, and nine. Uh, and, to, and to cover down on what those are now. So class one is really your subsistence. It's the, the food, the water that the force requires. Class three is, is what we call petroleum oils and lubricants, or POLs. It's really the fuel that is required. Class five is ammunition. Class eight is medical supplies, and then class nine are, are repair parts, the components that are needed to, to fix your gear. And so with focusing in on those five classes of supply that, that are usually most scrutinized in planning uh, to make sure you're going to have the ability to sustain a force, that those also happen to be where I'm, I've noticed that there seems to be the most amount of potential for emerging technologies to have an influence in a regenerative way. And... Um, to just kind of go through the, the examples that are outlined in, in my paper, and there's certainly more that are out there, and, and I'm actually hearing about new new concepts or new ideas that apply to, to some of these as well. Um, for class one, I think the, the atmospheric water generation technology, uh, and I refer to the generators themselves, but there's even been smaller capabilities of uh, pooling humidity uh, from the air, purifying it using solar power, to then provide, you know, purified drinking water uh, to a force that's that's somewhere far from uh, any any location to receive bulk liquid, bulk water supply. Um, the other half of class one is, is going to be a lot tougher for some regenerative technology to crack. It's going to be hard to to see, you know, chow being provided in a closed system approach, which is what regenerative logistics is all about. So 
th th there are, you know, initiatives that are that are being pursued around the world to try to do uh, soilless agriculture. And I, I definitely took time looking through some of the studies and experiments that are happening there. And I have no kind of agricultural science background. So a lot of that was was far beyond my my depth of knowledge. But the conditions upon which they're they're doing this research really demand some sort of closed system approach. And, and it's something the Marine Corps and the DOD should keep an eye on because, you know, if we can get that down to an expeditionary um, cape set, capability set that could be forward deployed, that could really, really help us out on, on the other half of class one. Well, for, let me just pause there yeah, for a second because uh, that reminds me there's been a few proceedings articles over the past year or two where right. uh, the, the idea of foraging has been so even if you can't regenerate food in the field instead of bringing it in instead of having to ship it in you know airlift it in or on you know surface movers that that for um, uh, small groups of marines would would actually rely on foraging so is that being discussed you know as a as a tactical logistician it it absolutely is yeah we we've um we've got a lot of folks in various uh various different levels of, of the units out here that are all focusing in on how to do what we call 21st century foraging or forward provisioning um, to, to try to pool those resources. But another, another thought too with this is um, something that came out in a recent document for stand-in forces, a concept for it in 2021, was the avoidance mindset that logisticians need to have or that planners need to have where you avoid putting capabilities in locations where it can't get what it needs. And so maybe there's even potential for unmanned systems to go where we, we just simply can't get food um, to help with that. And so anyway, sir, with some other you know emerging technologies, I, I talk about how class three, what we've traditionally called POLs for fuel, really needs to expand and just be called energy because we're clearly seeing that there's you know been uh, a revolution in the car industry with the electric vehicle, and it's clearly here to stay. And, and I can remember a time where there was debate about whether or not electric vehicles were, were going to be able to compete. Um, and so with a lot of the advances you see there, I, I, again, if, if you can convert to a military application, and there's, there's already a lot of initiatives to do that, uh, and then find a way to tie it to a regenerative source of power, that would certainly help in the class three problem that we have. Um, for ammunition, it's kind of a similar thing with directed energy weapons. That's also something that a, a lot of entities are watching closely, how fast that capa those technologies are developing. And just the, the pressure on that to miniaturize it and make it more prolific. Um, directed energy weapons could really change how we do class five ammunition, especially when you think about if class three becomes energy and five is directed energy, there's there's interesting disruptive potential for, uh, for, for how we really think about um, maintaining weapon systems and keeping them sustained. Yeah, that's, that's definitely a topic uh, for the Navy, right? And, you know, a Navy right. ship, particularly as we build in more and more uh, power capability, you look at the, the um, electrified, you know, Zumwalt class ships, you look at the, the Ford class carrier with even uh, more uh, energy output uh, that, that, directed energy weapons is uh, something it's hard to imagine that being um, you know possible for a marine in the field in right. the next three to five years but you right. know who knows right right that, yes sir yeah that's right it um yeah that and that that really kind of gets at the heart of this where it's you know there 
there's there's the potential for an emerging field of regenerative technologies, right? And the, the last example I list in the paper is just for class eight for medical supplies. You know, regenerative medicine has really gone a long way in the, the civilian sector in, in, you know, the last decade or two. Uh, and so the potential for that to have effects in the field are, are pretty profound, I think, down the road. Um, and, I, and I refer to blood transfusions being done on the spot. That's that is re regenerative logistics, where one person's body is creating what another needs. They're both there, uh, you know, where, where the, the requirement is located. Um, so anyway, those those are some examples. And again, there, there are others that I think, you know, there, there are probably plenty that I'm not aware of that also go into regenerative capabilities. I just wanted to call attention to the the potential of the field of regenerative logistics, more so than any one particular example. I think it's the confluence that a lot of these seem to be nascent and occurring around the same time. Yeah, that's a good point. And uh, I'll, I'll tie your point about, uh, was it class eight, the, the medical regenerative uh, capability? And you, you just had what is a pretty simple example of, a you know, in the field transfusion, uh, but that connected um, with a couple of other articles we've seen about the need for the Marines uh, I think one of these is in our eval process, and another one is um, one that we've uh, we've already published. But um, pushing independent duty corpsmen down to a lower level, the platoon level, if not the company level, and having more independent duty corpsmen in the field who can do you know pretty advanced things like uh, you know getting somebody past that you know the the one hour period of a of a combat. Uh, casualty or doing an in the field transfusion between you know between two uh, uh, two marines when that's necessary uh, when you can't just immediately medev medevac somebody off the battlefield within within minutes as we got used to doing certainly during uh, operations in Iraq and Afghanistan. Yes, sir. Yeah, and 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 really that that reminds me to mention that there are just so many efforts uh, and a lot of great work that's being put against all, all of these problems for, for solving the, the logistics issues we started with in our conversation. Um, I, I know expeditionary medicine is something that the Marine Corps Warfighting Lab and a lot of the, the units involved in that um, between the, the Navy and the Marine Corps are really focusing hard on, on figuring out. And what you mentioned is one aspect of that. Um, so it really is great to be, you know, in an ecosystem of innovative thoughts and ideas. I was hoping this paper would just kind of call attention to one corner that might not be as explored with looking at more of the field of, of what this is. Um, but there are plenty of folks that are that are much smarter on the specifics of, of these different technologies and what they could do for us. Yeah, I, I saw a lot of connective tissue between your article, the different technologies and and, uh, and requirements that you that you mentioned and and those other things right you know between the, the conversations about the different uh, warfighting concepts EABO and Loki and and force design 2030 and you know some of the stuff we're seeing about you know communications what we're seeing about uh, um, you, you know resupply in inside the a2ad envelope. Uh, contested logistics, right? So yours is about regenerative, but which touches on that, you know, contested logistics. And then, as I mentioned, you know, there's a lot of conversations, I think perhaps more than I've seen in past years in our pages and, and uh, articles that are coming into us about uh, combat medicine that's going to be much different in uh, a peer level fight than it was in Iraq and Afghanistan, where we owned the skies, where we could get medevac to people, you know, really quickly, get them to a, 
you know, a, a trauma medicine center well within the, the one hour magic one hour window to keep them alive. Uh, anyway, the, the, the connective tissue between what you wrote and all of those different um, concepts that's, that's happening in our pages, you know, really interesting to me. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, what a great opportunity to, to get, you know, uh, a little bit uh, of a contribution into that effort. And um, yeah, there, there's definitely a lot going on that, that folks are trying to get after. So you uh, kind of wrap your article up with a different analogy. So we started off with paddle ball and you end up with racquetball. So describe that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the, the paddle ball analogy, right? So the logistics was the stream in that example. If you have a toy paddle ball, um, and, and where I, where I end with the, the paper is kind of the effects of regenerative logistics. The potential this, this could have is by allowing units to deploy with the ability to produce and consume what the requirements are, you really lessen their reliance on lines of communication. What we've been so tied to and, and used to having to open up, defend, keep open and continue to, to flow supplies across that. We might find, you know, in the paddleball analogy that the, the string becomes kind of obsolescent, right? It's no longer an appropriate analogy um, because units are able to, to create the sustainment they need forward without having to rely on either local foraging or, or stuff far from the rear. And, and I settled on racquetball. There's, there's, again, probably something better out there, but racquetball came to mind because, you know, a, a racquetball only works if you have the right composition of the ball, a, a, a type of you know rubber that can bounce really well because you put the energy into it from the racket. It strikes the wall. It does what it's intended to do. And by doing its mission, it regenerates more energy to head somewhere else. And so that's just kind of the idea of taking the paddle ball analogy, which I've been a fan of for years uh, and trying to improve upon it and, and, you know, probably coming far short of doing that. But it, I wanted to conceptually get people to to think about this from a different perspective. I, yeah, I like it. Rather than the logistics string being the limiting factor, uh, it being an ability to add, you know, add capability or or to sustain that momentum of the racquetball to where where it needs to go next. Right. Yeah. It it it, it worked for me. I I liked it. Okay. Um, so we're running out of time here, but I wanted to give you just a sort of open-ended question. Any parting shots, any last minute things uh, you want to add? No, I mean, really just wanted to say again that it, it, it's been a real honor to, to receive this award, sir, and, and to be able to come on the show. Um, really appreciate what the Naval Institute and Proceedings do offering this, this forum to share ideas that, frankly, it's, it's you know, it, it's the dare to write concept, right? And I, I put an idea out there that is that is towards the future and, I think the, the last note I would offer is probably what's on most people's minds is what's the time required to realize the potential of regenerative logistics? And, and that's, that's a tough question that I don't have an answer to. Um, and of course, we're thinking what's the time required and, and holding that against what's the time available, right? How long do we have to figure out the biggest obstacle for the stand-in force concept? And, and, and those two are obviously in competition with each other. And so all I would offer is if someone feels impatient about thinking about something this longer term, um, I would encourage that impatience to actually want to pursue, you know, or at the right level or entity like the DOD's uh, Undersecretary of Defense for Research and Engineering, who might have the longer um, ability to look out at regenerative technologies to 
to help enable the, the future force. That's a great point. And, uh, I, you know, I, I think that some of the things that you mentioned, and, and there's images of them in the article, right? Some of them are already there. There are, uh, to some extent, Marines are, are in the field with some solar panels that can uh, provide some of that electrical power for their communications and computers gear. Um, and, you know, and some of them are as simple as the transfusion idea for medical resupply. You know, and some of them are much, you know, probably in the future, you know, even for uh, right. a big Navy ship uh, like a DDG, this idea of um, uh, of uh, directed energy weapons that can take out the incoming, you know, Chinese uh, cruise missiles and, and ballistic missiles. You know, that's a few years away, if not maybe a decade away, right, to get to that high power uh, and the, the technology needed for that kind of, um, you know, regenerative uh, ammunition. That, that's uh, that's going to be a, a while. But the conversation is important. You added to it in our pages, and I, I applaud you for that. Yeah, sir. Thanks again. This, this was an awesome opportunity. All right. Our guest today has been Major Marine Corps Major Dustin Nicholson. He's the winner of the Naval Institute's 2022 Marine Corps Essay Contest. His article, Marines Need Regenerative Logistics, is in the November issue. Dustin, congrats again on winning the contest, and thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thanks, sir. Really appreciate it. That wraps up another episode of the Proceedings Podcast, brought to you by the members of the Naval Institute. I want to thank our producer, Heather Legg, does a great job. If you enjoy the show, like us and subscribe to our channel. Tell your friends. Become a member of the Naval Institute at usni.org forward slash join. And until next episode, remember, victory begins at the Naval Institute.